Um, so I'm going to confess something to you, and I'm hoping, I'll tell you my agenda, my hope is my confession will actually in return uh, make you feel a little bit more open to confessing things as well. So don't worry, it's not going to be like crazy deep dark secrets, but that's my agenda in this next moment, is maybe if I kind of get the ball rolling, then that kind of helps you know that, hey, this is... It's okay to not always be okay. Uh, so there has been something that's been on my house project list for, for quite a while. And uh, it's not like a huge, huge deal, but it needs to get done. It absolutely needs to get done. I know it's important, uh, but something always comes up that pushes it further down. So I was planning on doing this several weeks ago. And then just, I mean, again, you get it, life gets busy. So it's like, ah, oh, man, I didn't get to it. Uh, I, and I know I'm not gonna do it during the week. So it has to be on the weekend. So then I pushed it to what would have been last weekend. And I had all the intentions. I even kind of started sort of, and I'm like, ah, I just don't want to do it today. Um, I want to do other things. And so I totally put it off, said, no big deal. I will then get to it the following weekend. And I'll confess, I was supposed to do it this last weekend, but we went to the Clemson game yesterday instead. And I was like, that's okay. We'll just do it next weekend. Because I know without a doubt, I could sit here and tell you I have full intentions of doing it today, but that's not going to happen either. I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch football. We've got another event planned with our kids tonight. So uh, it's not going to happen today. I know it's not going to happen Monday through uh, Thursday. So maybe I'll get around to it Friday, Saturday. It's probably not likely, but I'm at least going to say I'm going to do my best to do that. Right? We all have those things. And here's the deal is if you were to drive by my house, just in your car, drive down the street, you look at my house, you'd probably like, what's Brian talking about? Like, the house looks just fine. Right? I mean, the, the grass is okay. I mean, at least it's good enough to not get an HOA letter. So we're, we call that a win in our house. Um, even if I were to invite you into my house, right? Not just drive by, but if I were to invite you into my house and, and you'd walk around my house, you would say like, I mean, considering like Brian and Becky are both working full time. They've got three kids. Like it doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's not perfect by any means, but it's what you would expect with two working adults and three children. That's what it'll look like. So you would probably be thinking, I don't know what he's so like worried about. Like it looks fine. That's because I have consolidated all of the mess to one place. And I get it to one place and I make sure no one ever sees it. So I'm going to, in the spirit of confession, I'm going to share this with you, but we also need to just make sure we're on the same page here. I'm getting vulnerable for a moment. So that means this is a place of no judgment. I know like churches say that all the time, but man, we're quick to just like be all judgy afterwards. So not if you'll at least consider not judging me after this. Man, there's a lot of you that are like, I'm not promising that whatsoever. I don't know what he's about to say. So here's what I'm going to show you. Here's my garage. It's a little rough. And this is even afterwards because I took this picture this last Friday when I was considering to clean it up. So like that's like even partial cleaned up and I'm like, I'm not gonna mess with this whatsoever. Uh, so I keep my garage door shut so that I make sure nobody sees it. If you were to come over to my house, I'm not gonna invite you in to my garage because it's absolutely, but you can pull that down now. Like I'm getting too many stares at that. You've seen it, you get it, move on. You don't have to stare at it, judging me the entire time. But right, we, we don't always invite people in to those parts of our lives, right? We're afraid of what people are gonna say. We, we wanna have the, the picture of everything is all together. So if you and I just have a relationship where it's like a drive-by relationship, where you see me just every now and then, you're like, ah, man, he's got things like together. If I were to invite you into my life, but we keep a, a kind of a surface relationship, you're like, man, like things seem like they are all together, but then we all have our garages, don't we? We all have the part of our lives that we love to keep just shut off from other people. And what I truly hope and pray for 
is that as a church, and church, I hope you know this is not like the walls and the ceilings, like church meaning the body of believers, this group of people, this community of Christ followers that stumble in the right direction. I, I would hope that we would become a people that do life with our garage doors open with one another, right? That we are okay saying, man, I'm, I'm not perfect, but God's grace is through his son, Jesus. And I don't have it all figured out, but I'm digging into his word and I'm trying to learn. And I hope that we would reciprocate that saying, I, I know you don't have it all together. And so I give space for grace and I give room for the imperfections that we are called to carry one another's burdens, that we are called to walk alongside one another. Like I, I hope, and this is not just one and done. I talk about you never hear it. I hope just over time, we as a church become that for one another. That this isn't a place where we just have drive-by relationships. And it just seems like everybody's all good. But we're okay asking for help. We're okay carrying one another's burdens. We're okay being vulnerable and showing the inside at times. So this next Bible teaching series is gonna focus on the garage, so to speak. It's gonna focus on those internal struggles that are all common, that even these, the words and the language that we're gonna see in scripture is very common for us today. But here's how we're gonna approach these things. We're going to look at individuals throughout scripture, their story, their testimony, a snapshot of their life, and we're going to see their internal struggles, and we're going to see how God meets them where they are. But here's what's great. We're going to see God meet them where they are, but he's not going to leave them there, just like it's true for us. He meets us where we are. We don't have to have things all figured out. We don't have things all picture perfect and polished. We come as we are. He meets us where we are, but then he does the change in us. He does the work within us and begins to move us to who he desires us to be. So let's call out some of those internal struggles that we're going to see, not just in our own lives, but we're going to see within scripture as well. Again, common words like stress, worry, anxiety, discontent, discouragement, depression, being overwhelmed, being under pressure, fear. Talk about the temptations of sins that we struggle with. You think about the regret, unforgiveness, bitterness. Like those are the things we throw in our garage and shut the door. And I don't want anybody to see those things in me. I don't want anybody to know about those things in me. And again, if you were to drive by, you would look at me and be like, I ah, know there's no struggles there. I could be invited into your life and even I could say, man, it looks like you got it all figured out. But as we go through this Bible teaching series, could we be willing to maybe crack the garage door? And maybe that's asking for help or maybe that's just saying, man, I, I don't have it all together. I can walk alongside you as well. So that's my hope. That's my prayer is that we can walk through this time together and recognize there's a lot of space for grace because this is gonna hit all of us a little closer to home. So here's what I'm gonna suggest. This might be worth writing down if you like taking notes. Four things that I would maybe ask of you during this Bible teaching series. Um, and if you wanna know, I have no idea how long this series is gonna last. Uh, this might last three or four weeks. Uh, we might go six, seven, eight weeks. So it all depends on how convicting it gets and how quickly we want this to be over. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But four things as we go through this series that I think will be helpful. The first, one I, the first thing I would tell you is pray and pray a lot. We're going to see that even in our story today. Uh, when we deal with those things, 
those worries, those stress, those anxieties that should push us to pray and pray more, not to withdraw from our conversations and dialogue with God. So pray and pray a lot. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for your kids. And just pray for your community, pray for our church, pray for the person sitting next to you. Pray that we would be willing to open those garage doors. Say, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but we wanna walk through life together as we follow Jesus. So pray, pray a lot. I'd tell you to be in your Bible outside of Sunday. And usually the question I get right after that is, well, where do I start? So I'm gonna tell you where to start. Whatever we read on Sunday morning, keep reading throughout the week. Like go back. I've got like 30 minutes, now 21 minutes <laughs> to go through all of this with you. And there's no way I'm gonna hit everything. And I believe that as you dig into scripture, God is gonna have a truth that he wants to make sure you are reminded of or you learn. So don't just take what we talk about here and be done for the week. No, take what God's word says on a Sunday and dig in and lean in and keep rereading those passages and those stories throughout the week. So be in your Bible. Third thing I would tell you is use our next step team. Every single Sunday after every single service, we have our next step team that they stand right up front on the floor in front of the stage saying, we're here for you to pray with you, to hear from you, to talk with you, to open those garage doors with you and to walk through life with you. Those can be a one-time conversation. That could become a, can we talk through this again and again and again? Can you help me navigate some difficult things that I'm dealing with and I've never asked for help before? Those are great people to start with. So use the next step, team. Fourth thing I would say is counseling is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Counseling is an incredible tool and it's extremely useful, right? When we talk about these different themes, again, stress, worry, depression, anxiety, anger, bitterness, forgiveness, like it's not just what we might classify as a spiritual issue. It most certainly is. But can I just suggest you need more than just me speaking into your life? Allow God to speak through doctors and therapists and counselors and friends and family. Allow other people the privilege of being part of your life and speaking into your life. So if you're not sure where to start with that, if that's new for you, here's what I would suggest. Email, email us at info at localchurchdawson.com. And what we'll do is we will email you back. We don't have any counselors on our church staff, but we have great relationships with other uh, community partners that do counseling and are great counselors, have great practices. Would love to help get you in touch with one of them and begin that journey within counseling. It is a sign of strength. You're not gonna be judged for going to counseling. I hope not because I go to a counselor every four to five weeks. <laughs> and if you don't like that, I'll tell my counselor about it and he will walk me through it and I'll be okay. <laughs> It is a sign of strength, not weakness. So let me, uh, now that you kind of got a little bit of a backdrop, let me read this, we'll pray, and then we'll dive into our story this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed or confused, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Then keep reading through Paul's language here, and he begins to point to an eternal perspective, having hope in Jesus and having eternal life with Jesus. So then if you go down to verse 16, then he says, based on Jesus, based on the hope we have in Jesus, he says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And man, that's my prayer for you this morning. As a church, I hope that we will be vulnerable and open up and be willing to ask for help and help one another, giving a lot of space for grace. But personally, I pray that, that you would not give up, 
that you put your hope and trust in Jesus and that you would allow him to renew your spirit every single day. And that includes today. So let's pray. Let's ask for that. and We'll dive into our story. Jesus, thank you so much for how you meet us right where we are. I also thank you for the promise that you don't leave us as we are. Thank you that we can come to you, mess and all, problems and all, issues and all, sin and all, and you meet us there. But then you also guide us and lead us to who you desire us to be. Holy Spirit, would you move in each of our lives today? Would you renew our spirits today? And would you speak to us as we open your word? In your name we pray, amen. So if you got a Bible, it's uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we're gonna be the rest of the morning. Uh, let me give you a little context and we'll dive in. So this is a snapshot into Elijah's life. Elijah is a prophet of God. Uh, prophet just basically means a messenger of God's word. Uh, usually a prophet would kind of have the message of one of two things. Either, I mean, you're being so faithful and God sees it, keep doing what you're doing. Or it's the message of, you are not being faithful, you have chosen to go in your own way, and you better straighten up. It's usually one of those two. Uh, in this part of Elijah's story, it's the latter. It's the, Israel, you are not following God's way. And the reason of that is because the king and queen have led God's people astray into, into following false idols. So you have King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, evil king and queen, not followers of God, but they have led God's people astray. So you could read more on this in chapter 18 out of 1 Kings. It's actually a phenomenal story, even pretty funny, where Elijah brings this message saying, you're not following the one true God. You've got all these false prophets. You're following false idols. You're worshiping false gods. And he actually has a competition between the false, uh, the false gods and the one true God. Who do you think wins? The one true God, right? Great story, fire from heaven burned up, all the false prophets get killed. Like it's a fantastic story, great bedtime story. You can read through all that. And from that, Elijah is on like the highest of highs. It's like, this is incredible. My God is supreme. My God is good. My God has shown everybody who he truly is. And then we get into chapter 19. And that's where I want you to see where Elijah is at as we begin to look into his garage, so to speak, and the mess of his internal struggles. First Kings chapter 19, starting in verse one, when Ahab, that's the evil king, got home, he told his evil wife, Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. I mean, talk about some feedback, right? Here's what she says to him. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And that's intense. Elijah goes from this high moment of seeing God move and God work in an incredible miracle all the way to the lowest of lows of where you have an evil queen dedicating her life to coming after you, finding you and killing you. You talk about going from here to all the way then down here. And that becomes the pulse of not just Elijah's life, that's the pulse of our life, isn't it? We can think of our highest of highs and then how it drops to the lows. Then we find ourselves in a high and then a low and up and then a down. And I use that phrase pulse of life because what is that kind of a picture of? It's a picture of a heartbeat, isn't it? Right, so that's what our life does. That's the rhythm of the ups and downs. What's interesting is we always beg God, I just want things to stay like this. What is that? What would you call that if a heartbeat just did this? <laughs> yeah, so be careful what you're praying for. If you don't want the ups and downs and you just want this, that's called flatlining. And that's not how life works. 
If you are alive, if you are breathing, your life will be full of ups and downs, the highs and the lows. Now we're going to see more into the internal struggle of Elijah as he has found himself in one of these lowest of lows. Verse 3, maybe this will hit close to home. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Quote, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. This is a man that saw God move and work in mighty ways, and now he says, I can't do this anymore. Let me just highlight what his internal struggles were in this moment. First one, he was afraid, and rightfully so. Evil queen is trying to kill you. That's reason to be afraid. I say that because oftentimes when we deal with fear, we, we don't recognize it, we don't validate it. If, you're, if you've got some internal struggles with fear, it's probably very valid. There's reasons to have fear. There's reasons to be afraid. So we can validate and say, yes, I am afraid, and I have good reason to be afraid. He was afraid something that was outside of his control, that he had nothing he could do about it. We're told that he also was alone. When he got to Beersheba, which we're going to talk about that place here in just a second, he left his servant and he began to walk into the wilderness alone. So now Elijah is afraid and he's by himself. And I think we do this naturally. I think this is a natural human tendency that when we are afraid and when we are dealing with internal struggles, we push people away for whatever reason. Maybe it's, well, this is my burden to carry. This is my battle to fight. Only I can deal with it. This is my problem that I have to solve. Maybe we don't wanna put that on other people and say, no, I don't wanna bother you with this. I don't wanna burden you with my issues and with my problems. So I'm gonna push people away so I can go and deal with this on my own. Maybe we have a, a false view of people and say, well, no one is going to help me. No one wants to help me. Nobody could help me. There's nothing they could do. So I'm not even going to bother. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to isolate myself and move away from people. And I'm just going to walk into the wilderness on my own. So now Elijah is afraid and he is alone. We're also told that he traveled all day. I think that's a fair assumption that he would have been tired and he would have been exhausted. Again, if you read through the chapter before in chapter 18, you see how God was using Elijah in so many different ways. What we don't see is Elijah having rest. We don't see him having a break. We see him going from one thing to another, to another, to another. Now he's running for his life and he's walking, in, he's walking into the wilderness alone. So he is afraid, he is alone, and he is exhausted. And then we get to this phrase, I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I can keep moving forward. I've had enough. He goes even as far to say, I've had enough. Take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, he's saying what I'm doing doesn't matter. What I'm doing isn't making a difference. God, you've given me the calling to be your messenger, to be your prophet, and it's obviously not working. No one's following you. In fact, they're coming after me. So what's the point? What's the purpose? Why even bother anymore? So words we might use here might be words of burned out, 
discouraged, disappointed, even depression. I've had enough, Lord. I am done. That's the internal struggle. I mentioned the, the location. The geographical location plays a big role here. I'll show you a map a little bit later on, so maybe just file this away. But he ran to a place called Beersheba, and it's literally at a crossroads. So you have a road, or there's a path north to south that was a well-traveled road. Then you have a road that's east to west. So this town, the wilderness surrounding it, is literally at a crossroads. So for Elijah, he is spiritually at a crossroads. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm alone. I'm exhausted. I don't know what else to do. It's not making a difference. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But he's also physically, geographically at a crossroads. What direction am I supposed to go? Do I go here? Do I go here? Do I, where am I supposed to go? And out of all the struggles that Elijah is facing internally, you know what I love about his heart posture here? Is that he prays to God still. I love this. When he says, I've had enough, he's not just talking to himself. He's not just screaming to the sky. He uses capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh. He is calling on the God of the universe, his creator, his Lord. He said, God, I'm talking to you and I've had enough. What a beautiful, honest, vulnerable, authentic prayer. Lord, I have had enough. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. I just want it to be over because it's not like I'm making a difference. So I'm just done. But he prays to God in that moment. Psalms is full of these kinds of authentic, honest, transparent prayers. Let's get used to praying those kinds of prayers. That is not a prayer that you pray before dinner. That is a prayer that you cry out because of the internal battles and struggles that you are facing. But I love his willingness to pray and to pray in that way. All right, so that's the internal struggle. That's where Elijah is at. But I said we can come to God as we are. He meets us as we are and where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. So I want to show you three sections. We're gonna go through these pretty quick, but the next three sections is how God meets Elijah where he is. And we could categorize them into three kind of sections, three categories. The first one is we're gonna see God strengthen Elijah. Then we're gonna see God speak to Elijah. And then we're gonna see God give Elijah some next steps. And we talk a lot about next steps around here. We see that again. And as we go through these different sections of how God is gonna meet Elijah where he's at, this is important language. I wanna make sure I'm clear here. Uh, I'm gonna make observations. That's it. I'm just making observations. The reason I'm using the word observations is because I don't want us to take this as prescriptive. Meaning, well, in Elijah's story, if I do this, 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 and this, then everything will be fixed and I'll feel better. Not the way this works. Your story of anxiety or stress or worry or depression is similar but still different than Elijah's story. So we recognize that. And we recognize that God meets us where we are, not generally, but very specifically and individually. So as we make these observations, it's look at how God meets us where we are, but then also look at how he leads us afterwards. So these are not prescriptive. It's not just this plus this plus this equals a happy life. It is notice how God is working. Notice how he meets with us and how he leads us. Does that make sense? Good on that one? All right, so here's the first section. Notice how God strengthens Elijah as he meets him where he is. Verse five, then he, that's Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. 
But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some, baked, some bread baked over hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or look, the journey ahead will be too much for you. That is worth underlining. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength, just enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. God met Elijah right where he was at. He was like, man, you got to get your act together. You got to like pull yourself together, man. And then we can have this interaction and this relationship. No, God met him right where he was at. Internal struggles of depression and exhaustion, worry, fear, you name it. God met him right there. So here's some of the observations. First observation is that rest is found in the arms of your heavenly father. Here's what I love about what Elijah did and kind of the sequence of, of events here. And maybe I'm stretching this a little bit, but I, I think it's beautiful and I can see this in my own life. So we read in verse four that he was praying to God. He was crying out to God, take my life. I'm no better than anybody else. What I'm doing is not making a difference. I want it to be over. It's too much. And then the very next verse in verse five, we're told, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. I read that as he's crying out to God, he's praying and then begins to fall asleep. I believe that because I have fallen asleep praying so many different times. <laughs> and oftentimes we feel guilty about it man, I just can't stay awake. I try praying at night. It just never works. I just fall asleep. Man, can I take the guilt off of you for a second? I can think of nothing more beautiful and comforting than falling asleep as you pray, as falling asleep in your father's arms. What a beautiful way to fall asleep. And I see that with Elijah. Comes before God just hurting and he falls asleep while he talks to his heavenly father. So that prayer, that honesty, that prayer that goes into the night, that prayer that just continues throughout the day, this is not a one and done, done prayer. We find rest in the arms of our heavenly father. Quick side note, God does not completely answer Elijah's prayer. What Elijah prayed for, God does not answer in that way. There are answers to his prayer, but it's not exactly what Elijah had prayed for. I think that's good for us to keep in mind. The other observation here is God first provided strength, not a solution. Wasn't that he cried, Elijah cried out to God and God's like, oh man, I had no idea Jezebel was after you. My bad, kind of got distracted over here with some other people, but let me take care of that problem right now. No, not at all. God did not solve the problem. He first strengthened Elijah and he strengthened Elijah with some very basic needs, food, water, and rest. He said, Elijah, I know you're dealing with a lot, but what you need right now is just some strength. Now, here's what I love about this part of the story. That strength came from God. This wasn't God saying, all right, Elijah, I need you to just find a little bit more strength. I need you to have a little bit more patience and endurance. I need you to just get some grit and keep pushing through. Like this feels like this would be the ideal time for God to give one of his pep speeches. You can do it. Hang in there. Keep your head up. Keep going. You'll get there one day. None of that happens. It's the exact opposite. In fact, do you remember the, the language here? You've got to get some strength from me. You've got to eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. I hope somebody took that to heart. Like someone needs to hear that, that the journey that you're on, you're trying to do it on your own in your own strength and your own power. And you need to hear it's too much for you. 
You were not intended to do this journey on your own without God's help and without his power, without his provision. You need him to strengthen you. It's not about the solution yet. It's about him strengthening you. God first provided strength, not the solution. The other part, the other observation comes out of verse eight. This is an interesting part of the story for me. Verse eight, just to remind you. So Elijah got up, ate and drank the food that God gave him. And it was enough to give him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. The reason that's interesting is if I'm Elijah, I'm like, can't we have this conversation here? Like I've already gone through enough, God. I'm already tired. I'm already afraid. Why do I need to walk 40 more days for us to have some conversation for you to help me and provide me a solution? Why not just right here? And I think we see a bigger, a bigger principle, a bigger purpose and priority that God has. We see that time and space with God were a priority. God made sure they were a priority. They were prioritized by God. If Elijah wasn't gonna prioritize time and space with God, then God was going to prioritize it for him. And say, Elijah, if you want me to speak to you, you want me to like figure out a solution, you want us to like interact with this, you need to have some time and space with me. So yes, Elijah, get up your strength from what I've given you and let's take a walk. Let's take a 40-day walk, just me and you, and let me give you some space and let me give you some time with just me and you. So that's what God did first. He met Elijah right where he was at, met him where he was at, but also wasn't gonna leave him there. But it had to do with strength, not the solution yet. So Elijah goes on that 40-day journey and ends up at Mount Sinai. And again, I'll show you where all these are at in a little bit. Gets to Mount Sinai, and now God's gonna speak to him. I want you to see how God speaks to him. Verse 11, now God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, was, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God was not in the windstorm. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. God chose to speak to Elijah through a gentle whisper. And here's the thing about a whisper. You have to quiet everything else out and quiet everything else down in order to hear the whisper. And if we think about all the different voices and all the different noises that Elijah was listening to, it had gotten louder than the whisper of God. It had gotten louder than God's voice. Elijah was listening to the voice of fear. He was listening to the voice of discouragement, the voice of exhaustion, the voice of loneliness, the voice of depression. And God said, I need you to stop listening to any other noise and any other voice except mine. And so God chose to speak in a way that required Elijah to listen carefully and intently by drowning out all the other voices. That's why the whisper is so important. And then God began to speak truth to Elijah. The things that Elijah was listening to, 
those were not all untrue. Was Jezebel out to kill him? True. Did that make him afraid? True. Was he by himself? True. Was this too much for him to handle? True. Those are all truths. But the problem is they're half-truths. What about the other truths from God? Where God says, I love you. I am with you. I care about you. I'm not surprised. I'm in control. I've got this. I've got you. And I'm with you. And I'm closer than you think I am. Where are those truths? The other voices were louder. So God got quieter. And it helped Elijah begin to drown out the other voices and the other noises. He was spiraling, wasn't he? I'm afraid and I'm all by myself and no one can help me and nothing will work. And then God begins to speak quietly and says, sure, but I'm here and I love you and I'm with you and I'm gonna walk every step of the journey with you. He strengthened Elijah, he spoke to Elijah and now we're gonna see God give Elijah some next steps. Here's how I wanna do this. If you scroll down to verse 15, uh, 15 in your Bible. I'm going to put them all on the screen because I want you to kind of see a little bit of a theme here. And it's kind of hard to see that just verse by verse or line by line. Uh, so if you go through this, it's almost as if God is giving Elijah two main next steps. The first one, I love it. Go back the same way you came. Excuse me? Like I was running away from a crazy lady trying to kill me. And then you made me walk another 40 days, by the way. That was your, that was your fault, God, not my idea. And you want me to do What? You want me to go all the way back the way? I mean, no, there's a problem there. There's an issue there. That's where like bad things are. You want me to go back there? We'll talk about it. So he says, go back the way you came. And then he begins to point out several people. And as you arrive, look, I want you to go and anoint Hazael. And then I want you to anoint Elisha. Don't forget about Jehu. And by the way, I'm going to show you that there's 7,000 people. You're not by yourself, Elijah. There are 7,000 people who claim me as their one and only God. And you think you're all by yourself. You're really not. So it's almost as if God is pointing Elijah to two things. Go back the way you came. You got to get back in. You can't stay here. Keep going. But don't do this by yourself. Yes, Elijah, it is too much for you. You need to have other people with you. You've got to have other people walking alongside you. All right, now this is where the map is going to be helpful. So with that in mind, let me show you the map. This is Elijah's journey. So see at the very top, north end of it, uh, top of the page, uh, Mount Carmel is where chapter 18 takes place. Chapter 18 is this whole competition between false God and the one true God, Elijah versus all of these other false prophets, 450 of them. God proves himself the one true God, but that's also where Jezebel says, well, I'm coming to get you. So from Mount Carmel, he goes south. See where Beersheba is? And there's where that crossroads is that we were talking about. You see the north and south line, you can't see it on that map, but there's also an east to west that takes you between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. Very, very traveled road. So he's there. That's where he breaks down before God, prays that beautifully authentic prayer of God. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. This is too much for me. Let's just end it now. That's where that happens. Then you see where God said, 40 day walk all the way down to Mount Sinai. He takes him all the way down to Mount Sinai. That's where God speaks to him in the whisper and says, go back the way you came. Now we're gonna go all the way back up. And I point this out so you can see where things go and where, he has, where he's directed. Because I feel like that's a picture of our lives. That's a picture of our day. We deal with something that doesn't go well, so we run away from it. God says, let's talk about it. Come over here, let's take a walk. Okay, now you gotta get back into it. I mean, from a day-to-day -day basis, this is what our life looks like. This is the rhythm of our lives. And you might've been in a season 
where it's drawn out a little bit more. But we all walk through this. We're running away from our internal struggles. And then God meets us right where we are. And he says, but you got to get back in. So here's the suggestions. I mentioned the observations. We kind of walk through the observations of how God meets us where we are. Let me just offer a few suggestions. Again, these are not do these and everything works. These are based on what we see from how God worked with Elijah. I think we can take some, some cues here. So here's the first one I would say. Pray with honesty and pray a lot. When you're at that crossroads, when you don't know what else to do, when you're feeling all the things that Elijah felt, which are valid, fear, exhaustion, loneliness, depression, burnout, discouragement, can you open your heart up to God and say, God, I don't know what else to do here. God, I am done. This is too much. Pray, but pray a lot. Again, those internal struggles should move us to praying more, not praying less. It should move us to engage with him, not pull back from him. Pray and pray a lot. I would suggest that you prioritize time and space with God. Time and space. That distance from Beersheba to Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, we're told it was a 40-day trip. If he had walked fast, he could have done it in about 10 to 11 days. It's 260 miles. I think it's interesting that God wanted him to take his time, to have some space, to have some time so that he could be with God. For us, we need that every single day. What does your time and space look like with God? How much time are you spending? What does that space look like between you and God? What we're doing right now in this room for an hour, we are taking time and space to hear from God, to be with God. It's important. You gotta have the time and the space. If you don't have the time and the space, you're not gonna be able to hear from him because he's gonna speak in a whisper. You gotta have the time and the space in order to hear it. And when we hear, we're listening for the truths of God. There's a lot of other noises. There's a lot of other voices. But can you listen to the truths of God? That's where his word comes in. We open his word and we study his word. We dig into his word so we know the truth. Not just what, uh, what's being told to us, not even what we're telling ourselves, but the truth of what his word tells us. We listen to the truth. Two more. I would tell you to include other people on your journey. Invite other people to be on this journey with you. God made it very clear. Yes, this is too much for you. He tells Elijah, basically, you need my strength, not your own strength. You need my strength with you, but you also need some other people. I love that God pointed out three specific individuals, Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. He said, you need to go to those three. What he didn't tell Elijah to do is go back the way you came and on your way back up, just tell everybody everything that's going on in your life. Not smart. <laughs> Do you have three people that you can open the garage door with and say, man, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I, I don't know what to do. If you don't have three, don't walk out of here without a third, without at least one. I'll be your one. I don't have to know your whole story, but you need somebody that you can just open up to and you can begin to walk with me. Like I said, we'll have our next step team down front in just a little bit. We are here for you as we are here for one another. Last thing I would tell you, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. In other words, go back the way you came. It would have been easy. I would have said Elijah would have almost maybe preferred, let me just stay in Beersheba. Like I'm already having a bad day, bad week, bad season. Let me just stay put. And God's like, no, 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 no. Let's go on a walk. 
And then they get to Mount Zion and he hears the voice of God through a whisper in an incredible way. It would be easy for Elijah to say, oh, this is great. I just want to stay right here. Let me just stay right here. Everything's good. I'm away from crazy lady killing me and you're with me and you're speaking to me like, this is where I want to stay. And God's first next step was leave. Go back the way you came. Church, that's what we should be be thinking and feeling from a Sunday morning. Like, okay, God, I need you to revive me. I need you to renew me. I need you to speak to me. I need you to grow me. I need you to direct me because I'm gonna go back the way I came. I'm gonna head out these doors and I'm gonna jump back into the mess of life that I'm still in. Because still at this point, nothing has been solved for Elijah. Jezebel's still a problem. His life is still in danger, but he's been strengthened. He's been spoken to, and he knows his next step. And that next step includes other people. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus' words. He said, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Not you can do it. Not just hang in there not have more grit and more endurance. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You gotta put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've gotta have your strength from Jesus. You gotta be listening to the truth of Jesus. And you gotta follow the direction and leading of Jesus. Here's what I want us to do. We're gonna take some time and space. We're not gonna go on a 40 day walk, don't worry. We're gonna take like a minute walk. How about that? It's a minute space. But I would hope you would use this time and space to be honest with God. To cry out and tell him what's not going on well. To begin to crack that garage door, start with your heavenly father, and then maybe you can open up to some people around you. But as we pray, may it be an honest, authentic prayer. Because the struggles are real. But he meets us where we are. But he won't leave us there. Let's pray together. Jesus, we recognize that our lives are full of struggles and full of messes. There's a lot of things that we hide. There's a lot of things that we try to just push down. But God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, give us the strength and the courage to begin to open up, starting with you. To cry out to you and tell, us, tell you our, our fears, our worries, our anxieties. That we could tell you that we feel all alone we could confess that we are exhausted. We could say phrases to you like, I don't know what else to do. This is too much. I don't feel like it makes a difference. I don't know what else to do. That we could be honest with you because we know you meet us right where we are. You do not make us clean it all up before coming to you. So God, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our messes, would you meet us right where we are? Thank you for not leaving us there. In this moment, would you begin to strengthen us? Would you begin to speak truth to us through the gentle whisper of your word? Would you lead us in our next steps as we follow you? Break our hearts. And rebuild us and renew us to who you desire us to be. May we put our full faith and confidence in you as our hope and our trust is in you, Jesus. In this moment, Holy Spirit, would you make the most of our space and time with you? Renew our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.